Good morning. I was, uh, when I was a kid, I went to a friend's house and um, they offered me lunch. They said, would you like a grilled cheese sandwich? Yeah, who doesn't love grilled cheese? So I watched them make it, got a couple slices of uh, white bread and uh, then got some cheap cheese, you know, the cheese that's just kind of a grade above plastic. And then they put it on a plate and put it in the microwave and then slid that bad boy in front of me and said, here's your grilled cheese. And I, I, I was thinking, like, you know, I'm only probably 11, 12 at the time. So I didn't say this, but I was like, have you guys met grilled cheese sandwiches before? This is not grilled. You've got the cheese, and you've got the sandwich, but you're missing the most important ingredient. It's not grilled. Microwave sandwiches are not the same. And uh, I, I think maybe some of us have a microwave sandwich idea of church. And that's why we don't get really excited when someone says, hey, let's talk about church. Because we're thinking of like cheap cheese in a microwave, rather than thinking about like what God designed and what he implemented and what church is supposed to be and what it can be. And so that's in this series, we've been talking about that idea, like what should church be? It's, it, the series is called Myth and Mystery, and we've called it that because they, we do have a lot of weird misunderstandings about church, some of which we grew up with, some of which we just, you know, they're just in our own heads for whatever reason. I was thinking uh, earlier this week it would be so nice if the Apostle Paul had included like a book called First Pandemic. And uh, we could turn to chapter 3 and verse 14 and just read like, hey, what do we do when we got a bunch of people that disagree on, the, on what you need to do in a pandemic? That would have been really nice if Paul had done that for us. I don't know why, I mean, he could have, right? Why didn't he have the foresight to do that? Or, or if James, uh, the brother of John, had written just a little section in his book about, hey, what do you do if you have a friend or family member that's posting conspiracy theories to Facebook? How do you deal with that? What's the, what's the right way forward? It would have been nice because we are sometimes left at a loss for knowing exactly what to do in those kinds of situations. Or, you know, why why didn't Peter just include a few lines in one of his letters about, like, how do you handle distance learning with with ADD kids? Like, that would have been really nice. Just give us some insight. But the Bible doesn't work like that. We have to take what we read in Scripture that was written centuries ago, millennia ago, that was written in another culture to a different people, and we have to transpose it somehow in our day and age. That's how the Bible works now. I wish it worked differently, but this is what we've got. If you've grown up around church, especially Churches of Christ, you've likely heard that the ideal church, like the awesome church, the perfect church, would be something just like the first century church. Have you heard that concept before? Restoring the first century church church, first century Christianity, the early church. You've probably heard that phrase if you've grown around, uh, uh, grown up around churches or churches of Christ. And the idea, I think, is, is that the, those, those churches long ago, those were the original. Those were like, that was how church was supposed to be. And when you read the book of Acts chapter 2, that's exactly what Christians are supposed to do. They're supposed to be together every day and sell all their stuff and share all their stuff. I mean, we've just loaded up Christianity with all this extra junk. It's like a classic Coke and new Coke. You don't need a new recipe. Just go back to the original. The original is the best. And so we hear that idea, restore New Testament church, restore New Testament Christianity. And the, I think the idea is, it's like you've got this car, this vintage car, this classic car, but it's been sitting out in the field and you need to scrub the rust off and you need to clean the dirt away and you need to restore it to its original glory. That's, that's the church. That's what we're supposed to do. 
For example, uh, the, the, this is how this process works. You might say, okay, what is like a church service? We know that church is more than the church service, but what is a church service supposed to look like? Well, we'll go back in the, uh, in the New Testament somewhere. Acts is a good place, and we'll start looking for clues. It's a hunt and search for clues. we got a Nancy Drew this thing to figure out exactly what is church supposed to look like. So you might go to the book of Acts, chapter 20, and you might read in verse 7 about how Paul and Luke and these other guys went to this church in a town called Troas. We don't know much about it, just, you know, probably 10 verses, but a lot of excitement happened in this particular church service. But at the very beginning of this, uh, of this exciting story, a guy dies, a whole thing. You should read it. It's amazing. The, uh, the, the author, Luke, writes, um, And we gathered together on the first day of the week, to, or on the Lord's Day, to break bread. So somebody who's hunting through, like, what do we need to do for church? Well, the Lord's Day, I think that's Sunday. All right, so check. And breaking bread, that's often a euphemism for taking communion like we did today. Check. So therefore, if we want to be an awesome church, the ideal church, we need to gather together on Sunday to break bread. That's exactly what restoring the first century church looks like. And it makes sense. It sounds appealing. You hunt for a clue, and then you use that as a building block for the ideal church. In fact, a lot of what we read about in the Bible is what not to do. In 1 Corinthians 11, it literally says, don't get drunk at church. That leaves a lot of latitude. It's kind of a low bar. Don't get drunk at church. There's a lot of room uh, between that and, and other things. Like, okay, all right, hey, that should be easy. And then finally, I think it's probably important to say that this idea, the first century church, it is, I understand it's a simple, elegant ideal, but it's not necessarily a biblical ideal. And what I mean by that is you can't find a verse in the Bible that says, hey, you need to restore this church. In fact, some of those churches had some problems that Paul was trying to fix. So the idea to like restore this classic Coke, this classic car to the first century church isn't necessarily all that clear. And even within those churches that share that idea, there's just this vast array of different options. And I think scripture gives us something a little better. If we want to be an awesome church, like if we don't want to be that microwave grilled cheese sandwich, I think scripture actually gives us a better path forward that we need to think about. So remember, in this series, we've been talking about glory. That's we were created to glorify God. You were created to glorify God. And the more you lean toward that purpose, the more you feel meaning in life. So two weeks ago, we talked about how together church, even though there's some people that we sometimes don't get along with, that when we push through those differences and we work it out, God is glorified by that. Last week, we talked about God is glorified by a worshiping church, and there's just so many different ways we can do that. Singing is a big one, but if we want to read the book of uh, Psalms, we can dance and meditate and shout. All those things are ways to worship God, living lives in a way that worships God, worships God. But I want you to keep your, uh, your, your eyes peeled for this word glory. I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Philippians. And I think it would be helpful for you to read along. You can listen, but if you, act, if you have your phone or happen to have a paper Bible, you guys remember those, take them out and turn to the book of Philippians. And we're going to start right at the beginning, Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Keep your, keep your ear tuned for the word glory. Philippians 1.1. 1, 1. Paul and Timothy. Paul had a a co-author in this book, Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ to all of God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. So, hey, church, listen up. And then he says something kind of cool. Together 
with the overseers and deacons. It's the elders and deacons. It's the church leadership. He, so he's, this is the only time he does this in any letter. He's like, hey, church, listen up. Also, leaders, listen up. So you know he's about to address something that's kind of substantial to the organization of the church. So what, what is a church all about? Because he wants the leaders and the church to listen up. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Pretty standard intro. Verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's a good verse. You probably heard it before. And the idea is that, hey, you church, you're in process. You haven't made it yet. You've got places to go. You've got things to do. God is working in you because it can feel a little sometimes when you look around like, is God, you know, has God left us? Has God abandoned us? Is God really here? Is God really doing something? And Paul's like, hey, no, 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 don't worry about it. We got you. I got your back. And this is kind of the first hint at the, the topics that Paul might be addressing. Paul and Timothy might be addressing in this letter that this church may feel like, I don't know, is, are we headed the right direction? Are we moving toward what it means to be an awesome church? And Paul says, don't worry, God will complete this work in you. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And then he says something interesting, whether I am in chains. Now, spoiler alert, if you've never read the book of Philippians before, Paul's actually in prison, writing this from, from house arrest in Rome. So he's in prison. So just imagine this. You've had this guy, he's just all wound up about Jesus, and he shows up in your town, and he's just telling you, hey, the Jesus life is an amazing life. You should give everything away and follow Jesus. You should dedicate your life to follow Jesus. And the next thing you know, he gets arrested and thrown into prison, and you're sitting there thinking, uh, is this the result of a Jesus life? Is that what happens? I mean, this is your mentor. This is your guru. This is your guy, and he's in prison. You can imagine the church is a little bit nervous, just a little bit uncertain of exactly what the, the path forward looks like. He says, so I'm in chains. Whether I'm in chains or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. Verse 9, this is really interesting. Check this out. And this is my prayer. If you read all of the letters that Paul wrote, he usually included a summary of the entire letter at the beginning of the letter. And so he would weave the themes that he brings out in the next few verses through the course of the entire letter. So these next few verses are kind of crucial to what he's talking about generally. So listen to this prayer. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. That your love may abound in knowledge and depth of insight. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. There's a uh, common movie trope where the, uh, there's this raw, unskilled, or talented, but, but uh, undisciplined apprentice you know, it's the karate kid. It's Luke Skywalker. He's got all this natural ability, but he doesn't know how to focus it. And he's got to find a mentor. He's got to find a trainer. He's got to find a Mr. Miyagi. He's got to find a Yoda. And they go to this trainer and they teach him everything they know. Wax on, wax off, you know, paint the fence or do or do not there or do or do not. There is no try. Isn't that what Yoda said? Something like that. And these, these trainers come along and they focus these guys. But every movie has this moment where where the hero, the protagonist, the karate kid, Luke 
Skywalker is facing some sort of uh, difficulty. This is like a crucial plot point, and their mentor isn't there. And they've got to figure out, how do I take everything that I have learned and apply it in this new and unfamiliar situation? And then, of course, that's what they do. The hero learns that, oh, I wasn't just painting a fence, mind blown. I was learning how to defeat Cobra Kai or whatever. I don't know how much of you are into that movie, but I liked it when I was a kid. This letter from Paul has that same dynamic. Paul is in prison. Yoda has died. Mr. Miyagi is not there in the alleyway while Daniel is fighting the bullies. And listen to what he says. Listen to verse 9, all right? And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Verse 10, this is so crucial. Ready for these words? So that you may be able to discern what is best. So that you you see that crucial difference? Not so that you do exactly follow step-by-step step what I say, but that you may be able to do what is best. This is what I'm praying for. This is his prayer. Paul picks up on this theme in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. And this is a verse that many of you know, many of you are familiar with. Maybe some of you have written down or underlined. He goes, therefore, my friends, this is 2.12, as you have always obeyed, not only my presence but now much more in my absence. I'm in prison now. I'm not there to guide and hold your hand. Um, now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. To me, Paul sounds like he's saying, hey guys, it's time to take the training wheels off. I've been there. I've been giving you detailed instructions, but hey, it's not, we're going to lift the bumpers off the bowling lane. You're on your own now, okay? You got to make some wise decisions. You got to discern. I pray that you would have knowledge so that you can figure out the path forward. What's well, really, really interesting? Um, all of you that have had uh, children, young kids, and many of you uh, have young kids right now, I know it feels like it will, uh, it will never be any different, but for now, your bedtime routine for the last 1,095 days has been exactly the same. When it's time for that three-year-old or four-year-old to go to bed in our house, it was, all right, potty teeth and jammies, you know, and then do the whole thing. We have to walk them through each step and then get them in bed and a story and, and pray and sing a little song. I don't know what the routine was like at your house, but it's the same routine every night, same routine. You don't deviate from the routine. It's like communion, same routine every day, right? Every single day. Now, there may come a time when your child is like six years old, and you think, you know what? Today might be the day. And then you say to that child, hey, buddy, it is time. Uh, you go get ready for bed. And then you stand back as a parent, and you give them five, ten minutes to see how they progress. How do they do this? Now, if your experience is anything like mine, you've checked on them about ten minutes later, and they've got their pajama pants on their head, and they're doing somersaults in their bedroom, and you're like, at no point in your entire life has that ever been part of the bedtime routine? Not once. Not once did I say, put your pajama pants on your head and do somersaults. And somehow, after thousands of times of doing this, they're still, oh, I guess we got to walk you step by step. But I promise you, parents, there will come a day, there will come a day when you as a parent, this is true, this is, I know this is going to blow your mind, but you as a parent will go to bed before your children. It will happen. And you know what you will do? You will, on your way up to bed, because it's already 8.30 and you've been, you're tired. You watch Matlock, had your Metamucil, and it's time for bed. And you're on your way up, and you will say to your children, 
go to bed at a reasonable time, and they'll be on their way. It would be irresponsible of you as a parent to tell your six-year-old, hey, go to bed at a reasonable time. They are unable to do that. Unable. They will play until they drop. They will fall asleep wherever they are. It would also be irresponsible for you to call up your 46-year-old and say, okay, buddy, potty teeth and jammies. Both those things have the same goal, the same purpose, the same point, but they are accomplished in different ways. This is really important to understand. Both of those things say, I want my child to get a good night's rest and be able to, re- to, be able to take on the day tomorrow, but the way forward, the path forward is going to be different. Philippians 1.10, so that you, the responsibility goes from the mentor to the mentee, you may be able to discern. And by the way, that you in that verse, how many of you know that's a southern you? That is a northeastern you guys, you's guys, right? That's y'all, y'all. I told you I wouldn't say that anymore, but that was, that's my last time until I say it again. You all may be able to discern what's best. Hey, guys, guess what? It's time for the training wheels to come off. You as a church are going to have to navigate the path forward. You have knowledge. You have depth of insight. It's time for you. What Paul is saying is he's no longer saying, hey, guys, a potty teeth and jammies. He's saying, go to bed at a reasonable time. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying it's time to grow up to this church in Philippi. Same goal, glorify God, different path forward. And navigating that path forward requires discernment. Can I say something just to, just to the church folks? If you're not a church folk, that's okay. You can listen to. This is insider information. Somehow in the church, we have accepted the idea that the ideal church or the ideal Christian would search for step-by-step instructions in Scripture to follow as precisely as possible. Scripture itself teaches a different path forward. Scripture itself encourages a different path forward. Now, some of you are like, okay, Patrick, you've just been reading Philippians, and you're reading it wrong, and I'm not sure that I agree with that. All right. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Listen to this. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. You know this verse. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that, you got to get your thinking clear, so that, or then, you will be able to test and, what's the word? Oh, you know it. Approve. It's the same Greek word as discern, so that you will be able to discern. I want you to clear your mind so that you will be, and renew your mind, so that you will be able to discern God's will. Well, well, no, 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 I've been told all my life that I have to search the pages of Scripture for God's will. Well, yeah, God's will is in there, but you know what that pages of Scripture are doing? They're helping you grow up so that you can discern God's will. What about Hebrews 5.14? This is a good verse. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. It's never, never is signed. have no idea. Some people think Paul, like my father-in-law there. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. It's, not a, it's a strange thing to have a strong opinion on, right? <laughs> Hebrews 5.14. But solid food is for the mature. Solid, solid doctrine, solid Christianity, solid theology is for the mature. Who, because of practice, have their senses trained, wax on, wax off, paint the fence, to discern, same Greek word, between good and evil. Not everything in life comes at us clearly labeled. That's good, that's evil, that's good, that's evil. No, we have to discern. 
Let's dig, um, well, let me say this. God expects the church. God expects an awesome church. God expects an ideal church. Like, if we want to be super awesome church, God expects us to glorify him by being a discerning church, that we get to navigate this path forward. Now, I know some of you are like, I'm a little uncomfortable with that language, Patrick. I'll deal with you in a second. But I want you to dig in just a little bit to this word discern. It's a good word, discern. It's all over the Bible. It's kind of an unsung virtue, really. We just don't think about it very often, discern. Discern is the ability to take objective truths and map them onto unfamiliar situations. Teenage boys. Um, I don't know if, if you've met any, but they don't always make the same decisions you would make. Uh, in fact, you might say that they make the opposite decisions you'd make. Now, I don't want to stereotype, because there's probably some very smart teenage boys. Oh, no, we're all dumb. We, got, we all were dumb at one point. Teenage boys will do things like this. They will see a trampoline, and they will see it close to a pool, and they will see it close to a house, and they will say, I can jump off the roof, land on the trampoline, backflip into the pool. I can do that. Glory is within my grasp. And if a parent catches them in time, the parent will come along and say, son, you are smart for a teenage boy, but you lack the ability to actually realistically play this scenario out. Because here's what's going to happen. You're going to jump off the roof, and then we're going to go directly to the ER. That's exactly what's going to happen. You're thinking glory. I'm thinking hospital bills. So discernment is the ability to take objective truth, things like physics and gravity and teenage boy bone density, and then be able to say, I can figure out how this is actually going to play out. It's going to be roof, trampoline, ER. That's how this is going to go. Discernment is the ability to take reality and truth and kind of map it out into new and different and unfamiliar situations. That's what discernment is. So long story short, I've broken a number of bones uh, when I was a kid. In fact, um, the, uh, well, I don't remember the details. Maybe, uh, well, I, I have a child who is similar to his dad, and uh, he was telling me about his plans, I think, to parachute off the back deck with a pillowcase as a parachute. And so as a, as a dad who's experienced broken bones, I was able to head that off at the pass, like, oh, okay, I see what you're thinking there, buddy, but no. Unfamiliar situations. What does faithfulness look like during a pandemic? How do we lovingly handle a friend that is posting conspiracy theories on Facebook? What does it mean to be an awesome church in the middle of political polarization? Discernment, discernment, discernment. If we try to use Acts as a step-by-step -step formula, we're going to have to ask some tough questions. Are we meeting daily? Do we meet weekly? Do we meet in public places like we're doing here? Do we meet in homes? Hey, how about Acts chapter 27? Anybody know how long Paul preached a sermon in Acts chapter 20? No? Read it. He didn't preach to midnight. He preached all night. All night. You know what would happen if I said, you know what, guys? We're just going to cruise through the rest of this day here. I'm going to go till tomorrow at 8 a.m., the, the audience, some of you would be like, okay, I'm going to stick around for a while. That's a marathon. But by tomorrow at 8 a.m., how many of you would be here on the lawn? Yeah, exactly zero. Well, Jerry would be here on the lawn. Jerry, you would be fast asleep there in your chair. I guarantee you. Should we do that? No, I don't, I don't know that that's a good idea. I don't know that you want to want that. I don't know that I want that. In the book of Acts, if you read the book of Acts, it's just absolutely 
phenomenal. It's, it's absolutely incredible. They, every different chapter, they were literally dealing with a different like existential crisis in the church. Like, oh man, we were meeting in the temple, but now we got kicked out of Jerusalem. What do we do? Or we were sharing food every day, but this demographic wasn't getting food. So now what do we do? I mean, they were just constantly navigating these new situations and they would get together and they would have meetings and they would pray and they would be like, oh, what, how do we, how do we figure out the path forward? They were constantly being, listen, they were constantly being faithfully flexible. They took what they knew, the objective truth, and they adapted it to changing circumstances. Even right now, we're being faithfully flexible. Right now. Uh, the first century never had to deal with having church underneath an airplane flight path. Every Sunday morning, have you noticed? There's airplanes. That, I didn't even notice airplanes before. Now, every week, it's like, oh, there's a guy enjoying his Cessna flight on a Sunday morning. How about, uh, how about taking communion in a pandemic? How many of you enjoy the taste of that wafer? That's good stuff, huh? Did we already, I don't know if I mentioned this or not, but did you know that we've had people throw that away because they thought it was the packaging to keep the wafer safe? So they just like pitched it? <laughs> it's so disgusting. I had to drink water to get the taste of the grape juice out of my mouth. It's not great. We're trying to navigate a path forward that's unusual and different because you guys don't want to take communion that somebody's had their hands all over. So we're doing something a little bit different. We are being faithfully flexible. That's a good thing. I mean, that's pretty awesome. The people who are still watching services at home, who are staying at home watching services, they're having to be faithfully flexible. In fact, some of them are loving it because they haven't gone to church in their pajamas in their entire life, and they have not gone to church without being in their pajamas for like the last six months. They're loving it. It's just being faithfully flexible. Now, I want to say we are trying to discern the path forward as a church to the glory of God. And things are going to change as, as we go. It's just that's the way it is. You read the book of Acts, and the one consistent was change for the church in the book of Acts. That was the one constant thing that always happened. It was always changing. Now, some of you are like, oh, man, Patrick, this whole thing, you're making me nervous because you're sitting there thinking faithful flexibility. I don't know. I mean, what if we get it wrong? What if we go off the rails? I mean, we've all heard of churches and Christians who just, like, lost it and went off the deep end. How do we know, Patrick, that faithful flexibility, discernment, is not just some sort of euphemism for compromise? You're just going to do what you want to do, and you're going to be like, I'm being faithfully flexible. You're just going to go off the rails. Well, I want to say two things. Number one, unfamiliar does not mean ungodly. Unfamiliar does not mean ungodly. It's different, but it doesn't mean ungodly. I, uh, I was reading a book, a, guy, a Church of Christ preacher, and they had introduced reading of Scripture into their services, and a family left church. And they were like, what? What are you leaving? Well, uh, the Bible doesn't tell us to read more Scripture in Scripture. Like, what? It was different. They didn't like it. So they, they, they left. Unfamiliar doesn't mean ungodly. You know what means ungodly? Ungodly means ungodly. And sometimes, and let me just, this is really important. Some of you are like, oh, faithfully flexible. You're just going to inject your own biases in, in, in likes, or you're going to acquiesce to culture. You're just going to do whatever keeps people happy. You're just going to find the path forward that suits you. You know, the problem of injecting your own biases and opinion is that actually happens in, in people who are trying to look for the pattern, too, the step-by-step -step instructions. I would love for you to do this. I'd love for you this afternoon, and please call me and email me about it. I would love for you this afternoon to take Acts chapter 20, and I, because that is the one verse, Acts chapter 20, verse 7, 
that says we must take communion on Sundays. That's the, that's the Church of Christ verse for that. We've anchored our practice in that. And I would just love you to study that out and ask yourself the question in your study, what day of the week did they actually take communion in that passage? Just, just for fun, just, just to see what you come up with. I would love to hear that. The concern with the approach of discernment or faithful flexibility is that it leaves too much uh, responsibility on the shoulders of the individual Christian, on disciples. I mean, well, who was it the path that said the path to hell is paved with good intentions, so we just discern our way right off the uh, cliff? I just want to draw your attention to something that Paul does in the book of Philippians over and over again. I don't actually want you to turn there. I just want you to listen to these, these words, okay? Just listen to what Paul says. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to highlight a few uh, verses throughout this uh, this entire book, six of them. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Philippians 2, 14. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Everything. How are you doing so far today? Everything. Philippians 4, 5, let your gentleness be made known to all. When people get done with a Facebook argument with you about politics, the thing that they should walk away with, wow, that guy or that gal is gentle. Let your gentleness be made known to all. Philippians 4, 16, don't be anxious about anything. Philippians 4, 8, here's what you should fill your mind with, things that are noble and admirable, and excellent. Do you notice the expansive language that Paul is giving us? Whatever, all, nothing, everything. Do you see what he's doing? He's saying, like, yes, there's a path forward. There, we're we're going to navigate a path forward, but there's some guidelines here and there. Here's what really matters is that you, you pray about everything. Here's what really matters is that your gentleness be made known to all. Here's what really matters is that you don't complain or grumble. Here's what really matters is that you do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. Are there guide rail, guardrails? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we still get to navigate this path forward with discernment. He gives us edges and structure, but not turn-by-turn turn directions. Now, there are commandments that are set in stone, right? Some of you are like, well, Jesus said... Love your neighbor as yourself. And when, and when he was going back up to heaven, he gathered up his apostles and he said, hey, go into all the world. Yeah, we're going to do that. But how exactly do you do that? For some of you, going into all the world means getting to know your neighbor. And for some of you, it means packing up and moving overseas. We discern the path forward. Um, there was a wonderful woman in our church in Iowa. Um, some of you know her. Her name's Marilyn Barber. And she just turned 90 uh, recently, 90 years old, and she's still growing strong, going strong. And, and she was, I mean, she's so smart. Like, I just felt like, I feel so bad for her thinking back on it. I was a 23-year-old kid preaching away, and here's this lady who's, you know, just knows the Bible inside and out, and she has to listen to me stumble through a sermon. Just an amazing, amazing woman. She had uh, two grandsons who weren't part of the church, and she really wanted them to get connected. She really wanted them to know Jesus. That was her goal. That was her goal. And so she thought maybe the best way to do that wouldn't be for them to sit down with dear old grandma. Um, maybe, but maybe the best way would be to like introduce them to youth group and youth events and youth rallies and stuff like that. And so we were having this big youth event 
um, one weekend. It was a whole weekend thing, and she brought her grandkids out. Now, her grandkids, her grandsons, they didn't know anybody there, and so she thought, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and stay with them during this youth event. Well, I told her, I said, I said Marilyn, I, you know, I, it can get a little loud. I mean, you know, we, we, we turn the microphones up pretty loud, and the kids get a little chaotic. They get a little ridiculous. It's not, you know, I was thinking about this poor, dear 80-year-old saint who's seen the way church should be, and mm, this is going to be a little weird and different for you. And she says, no, it's no problem at all. Okay, all right, you know, but in my mind, I'm just a little nervous about the whole situation. Well, I, uh, I watch her as we're getting ready to do some big, loud thing, and I watch her standing in the back, and she just pulls out of her pocket a couple of earplugs, and she pops them in her ears, and then she stands back there and just kind of like surveys the landscape, kind of oblivious to any of the noise, just happy as can be, because she's introducing her grandsons, the best way she knows how, to Jesus. The Bible doesn't say anywhere to be a disciple, you're going to need earplugs. But sometimes to follow Jesus, you're going to need earplugs. Sometimes to follow Jesus, you're going to need to do things that we don't read in the text of Scripture because that's how we discern and navigate the path forward, taking objective truth of Scripture and mapping it on to new situations. Faithful flexibility. The ultimate goal will always be to glorify God, but sometimes the path forward will look a little different. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, uh, we come before you right now. Lord, some of what we're talking about this morning has big implications, and I full, am fully aware that it can make people feel nervous. Lord, we never want to lose our anchor in your word. We never want to lose that as a, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. But God, I pray that you would fill us with your knowledge and love and depth of insight so that we may determine, that we may discern what is best. Lord, help us take these words that we see in Scripture to heart and to live in a way, navigating a path forward for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.